May I say what a great pleasure it is for Sabine and I to work. <laughs> this is dog number two, Tato Cart. Yeah, he's all right. The first dog, the large one, is the one that I have since he was six weeks old, and I claim to have trained him myself. This one I adopted at a year and a half. I guess say she's uh, not as disciplined. <laughs> now, but first of all, say that occasions like this, and I'm so grateful that you were all able to come, what we're putting into action is our plan B, because plan A would have involved, and maybe the weather may yet recover so that you're able to see the gardens and that you're able to see all of the other different things that we are able when, we, when we're blessed with the weather. But one way or another, you're all so welcome, and we're very particularly glad for the, particular, for the company that we have this afternoon people who have done so much to address the issue of violence, violence against women, and of course, violence against men. There are a number of people here that quite recently, uh, Sabina and I, we were in, in Northern Ireland, and I visited the Shankill, and we got a fantastic reception uh, from some women groups, and there are 27 of them here, and they're down there somewhere. <laughs> So, Forcha Special on Shankill, you're most welcome. And thank you for that wonderful afternoon we spent and for all the good work that you're doing because really you are the major source of hope in areas that are moving on to the future. And I pay tribute to, uh, to you for that. Um, uh, I think there's, as I said, all of the organisations and people here this afternoon are people who have been putting in work. Uh, they have supported in the past, and more important, most importantly, continue to support those of our citizens, women, children, and men whose lives have been impoverished by violence and abuse, often inflicted on them by those with whom they're intimately related or connected, and thus making the homes that they might have hoped to be homes, place, not places of safety and security, but spaces by, defined by fear and uncertainty. It's because we have to be an intro, maybe I have a bit more to say about these topics this afternoon, and that is we have paid such a high price uh, for fear and violence uh, in our country, but also in the world. Uh, I think La Violencia, as it is in many of the places that, that I visited, there can be a violence that is institutional, and there can be a violence in the way that we organize the ecology, the economy, and the society. But this afternoon, we're talking about a violence that occurs where people might have expected peace and care, and people might have expected reciprocities. And I think it's very important to speak about it now very, very clearly. It's past time 
we put an end to this. When I was speaking in New York at the United Nations on the occasion of the Sustainable Development Goals and Sustainable Development Goal number five is the one we're dealing with today, I said we shouldn't have to wait until 2030 to eliminate violence against women. It should have been eliminated long, long ago. And I... Rather sadly, I, I wish I didn't. International violence is in fact becoming a weapon of war. And I think I very much wanted uh, to pay tribute to Fergal Keane for drawing attention to the fact of what is taking place only just recently in Sudan, uh, where rape of women and men is in fact a practice of war itself. And I, I think violence, sometimes what sometimes people suggest is that. There is, some, there is such a thing as an inherent tendency to violence. There isn't. Violence is learned. Violence is copied. Violence is imitated. And it is absorbed in an acculturation process. And very often, at its root, is an attempt to dominate. And I think that Sabina's and I, our lives have been very much involved in projects that involve the pursuit of equality. But both of us are only very well aware that pursuing equality is a struggle that cannot be achieved as long as there continues to be thousands of women and many men who live lives as victims of unprovoked violence, trapped in relationships that they may have entered into with so much joy, joy and hope for a future of fulfilment and peace. I want to say as well, those of you who are from, as they would say, the Midlands and from the West and elsewhere, uh, when I was dealing with this issue in Galway as a public representative for a long time, I always was struck by the extra vulnerability of women in rural areas who were far away from where they might access those to whom they might turn for support. So for those of you who are outside of the cities in rural areas, I particularly recognise the importance of what, you, of what you're doing. And then, of course, women across the globe are dealing with unprecedented levels of targeted political violence. New, new information on political violence has shown that the threat of political violence towards women has grown. And sadly, it has increased in the last 18 months. And this is very worrying because it underlines the urgency of the task of empowering women around the world and ensuring they have not only a basic right to be safe, but an equal right to participate in education, in the workplace, in politics and in the economy, and have equal access to control over and the ownership of land and other productive assets. I have, for example, when I have been speaking about women in Africa, being very anxious to put an end to some people sometimes say, well, if we gave all these African small farms titles and then they could exchange these for loans and then in turn you would have invented a new form of capitalism in Africa. The fact is it is the women who are responsible for 80% of the production in the fields and in the sun with their hoes. So therefore what you would be doing is you would be giving, in fact, to people who are not in the heat of the sun the right to sell their titles and you would suddenly lose the land, as has happened in Mexico, as it happened in parts of Africa and so on. So women are very important. Their rights in relation to where they work on the land, their rights to own land and feel secure uh, in, in land. 
Goal number five is hard to, to, to improve. Really, this is the goal of the number five of the Sustainable Development Goals. He put it very well. And remember, that was signed up to by 193 nations at the United Nations. It came into effect in January 2016. And what it called upon was for all of the nations of the world to achieve gender equality and empower all women and girls. Gender equality, it said, is not only a fundamental right, but a necessary foundation for a peaceful, prosperous and sustainable world. Providing women and girls with equal access to education and health and health care, decent work and representation in political and economic decision-making processes will nurture sustainable economies and benefit societies and humanity at large. Women have a particular role to play in relation to that concept of sustainability. It's, not very, it's very interesting that some of the countries have achieved the most. They refer to nature itself as madre, as, as mother. I think a record 143 countries now guarantee equality between men and women in their constitutions as of 2014. Putting it into effect is another day's work, but another 52 have not taken this step. And in many nations of the world, gender discrimination is woven into the very fabric of legal systems and social norms. And again and again, I could never repeat it often enough, no cultural argument should be allowed to stand in the way of a woman's rights or a girl's rights or of children's rights. And now, Sustainable Development Goal 5 is a standalone goal, it but taken together with the other goals can be achieved if the needs of women receive the same attention as the needs of citizens in general. But issues unique to women and girls include traditional practices against all women and girls in the public and private spheres, such as female genital mutilation. And I'm absolutely delighted that today we are joined by Ifra Ahmed, who has done so much to put an end to this terrible practice against women. And then too, then too there is child marriage. Child marriage has declined over the past decades, but there is no region that is currently on track to eliminate the practice and to reach the Sustainable Development Goal by 2030. And if current trends continue between 2017 and 30, 150 million girls will be married before they turn 18. And though child marriages are four times higher among the poorest than the wealthiest in the world, most countries need to accelerate progress among both groups in order to reach the SDG Goal 5 and to eliminate child marriage by 2030. And I'm glad, as I've said, to have welcomed Ifra. In, and I think what I think Ifra seeks is in recognition in constitutions accompanied by enforceable legislation that promotes the empowerment of all women and girls. And then I think it's so important for, for education for all girls be available. The targets call for an end to gender discrimination, for empowering women, and girls through access to technology, 
And what's very, very important about the discussion on the goals, maybe the best element, was that it was important to listen to girls and women, not to be seen, as it were, the beneficiaries of change coming from somewhere else, but rather as the agents of change, in the same way as in coming out of conflict. It isn't just women's role in ending conflict, but also of reconstructing after conditions of conflict, and in relation particularly to Resolution 1328, 5 and 8, and all of those. I think, too, what is very, very important is to the gender equality we must recognise is a, an obstacle towards achieving any fundamental end to inequality. I think recognising the great social and human costs of gender-based violence and the barrier it creates to the securing of a world that is equal, just and sustainable. When I say these words, and I think over the years of all the debates that have taken place in, and one very unwelcome tendency is the suggestion that in areas even where women have risen to the fore, that you should do somehow or another by bringing into yourself an, an aggression that was there from a patriarchal world, or particularly even in relation to the media, that you get ahead by being aggressive in the way that people, for example, after a while, I'm reading a very, very powerful, was reading a very powerful book about a woman who died as a result of a medical mistake. And being, it was the way she was spoken to by saying, the doctor is busy, you'll be collected, you'll be driven, the same as you were somehow or another not empowered, removed from dignity. This aggression is sinister in relation to the way it can seep into the culture. There is nothing wrong with giving time to people. There is nothing wrong about slowing things up. And there is nothing wrong at all about being able to give people in the complexity of their vulnerabilities the attention that is required. We're in great danger of losing this as we surrender to a kind of technocracy that is taken into people's way of speaking, the way that the way they deliver themselves to each other. I've said enough on that except to say I want to commend all of you for all that you're doing, for the citizenship you're giving practical re reality to, the empathy, and that's what I've been speaking about, an empathetic world. It's very, very hard to, for sometimes for people to swallow it that a survey in Ireland in 2014 suggested that 14% of women in Ireland had experienced physical violence by a partner since the age of 15 and that more than a third of them had experienced psychological violence. And the work that you have been doing and continue to do in enabling victims to reconstruct their lives, move away from such an experience, it can never be eliminated, but it can be transacted. But particularly of being able to take the, being, enable people to move out of the oppressive and dangerous world of physical and emotional abuse, and to live safer and happier lives is of an enormous social value. I think as well, I think it's very important. I think what you're doing is enabling us to craft a version of Ireland, an empathetic version of Ireland, not just for the women and for the men, but for the future children who will become the daughters and sons and who will be the grandchildren of those of you who are here today. I think we have got good news that the government is establishing a citizens' assembly to examine and make recommendations on the issue of gender equality. Let us hope that it will almost become redundant for us to be making these claims in decades to come. We have, but we have a journey to travel. 
And I think despite the significant progress that has been made, we have still a long way to go. There's been a steady increase in the number of women held by your various organisations. And of course, too, there are people who are less afraid to come forward. And we must encourage all people to either, not only those who are affected by abuse, but those who know of abuse, to come forward so that we are able to put an end to this incredible travesty. And I think, let's say, maybe the good news about it is, is that violence within the home even violence within marriage in particular, is now progressively achieving the level of public recognition that it should have had long, long ago. And it now is, I think, the increasing number of victims who are coming forward will be doing a great favour to everybody. And when those victims find the courage to remove themselves from abusive situations, it's to the organisations and the different groups that you here represent this afternoon. And as President of Ireland, I thank you for that. I thank you for what you are doing by able to enable people to reconstruct their lives, for the tasks of empowerment. And then what it goes on. What people seek is the minimum levels that are necessary to achieve an auto autonomy in their life, earning their own money, finding their own home, making new friends, exercising choice in your interactions, leading fulfilling lives. I think that domestic violence in the end of the day, to sum it all up, is in fact a negation of dignity. It isn't when it, whether it is sourced in fear, as I've said, or in imitation, or has come out of something that people have seen elsewhere, it can never, ever be seen other than as an attempt to deny it. It fringes the dignity of the other person and a tendency to dominate. I have, I'm so pleased, Maruk Tranahen, Gwilid Shansam, Trislu Liv Ilyukatai, Gobarar Nenehesha, Agasakohor, Han Karata Tokaki, Sanamata Kacha, Isan Karata Tokaki, and Megahotaki, Santaoki, though eats in the Taik Falent, Simkohek Shinifi Mekarshia, sir. I'm so delighted to have the opportunity then to pay tribute to you all organisations and groups, wherever to wherever you've travelled from. And I also want to say to those who are representing our cultures abroad, in when Ireland is speaking about matters internationally, I think it is a good thing to hear that now in foreign policy, gender equality and gender respect is in regular usage, and I, I very much welcome that. What we're really speaking about are women, men and children breaking free from a world in which they're denied freedom, dignity and peace of mind. So, And before I conclude now, I must say that having listened to this homily from me, which you all know already, because the fact is you are more familiar with all of these themes than I, but it's good that we can say so together in the home of the President of Ireland to know that we are at one in what is our intention in relation to these regards. But this afternoon, we have great entertainment. We are absolutely blessed by having a superb Marshtras um, Kursi, and that is Blonet Nikofik, and uh, our, our entertainers... <laughs> Dennis Scully, Leo Ossia, the Army Number One Band, Colm O'Harragon, the Atkinson family, Erica Cody, and then you will all be moving. There's no part of it that won't move to the swing cats.
and Alva Reddy. And I want to say thank you to Fuirn and Orish, to the staff of the Oris, for all their hard work and good humour, our friends in Africa, the OPW, our wonderful house of team, not just for all the hospitality that has been provided, but for their attitude towards it all, their kindness and cheerful disposition. I want to thank our friends in the Dublin Transport Museum for the loan again of Jim Larkin's tram and the Dublin bus and so forth. Then we have very, very blessed by having in charge of sound D. Rogers, superb sound that he makes possible for faci in facilitating our performers and musicians. And then our friends in John of Gods who help us send out all the invitations, the Gothi and our civil defence colleagues, and the tour guides and the people from Gashka who will be of assistance to you. They've all worked very hard. Sabine and I hope you have a wonderful afternoon. Enjoy the, your time here. Mila Bikasasak Chirk Berbana. Thank you.